Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your grace, your blessings upon us, your answers to prayer, protecting us, keeping us safe. Lord, just the opportunity to go to uh, the youth conference in uh, Oklahoma City at Heartland Baptist Bible College. And Lord, the preaching of the word and the singing of the choir and just the different things that went on there. Lord, we thank you for answering prayer at community that we're actually seeing some people come to the services, and we praise the Lord for that. Lord, we thank you for being so good. In your name we pray. Amen. So we'll get into that last song there. We'll have the Go Ye Kids to go. And let's take our Bibles and turn to Psalm 136. And this is an interesting psalm. It's... Uh, one that repeats itself often. A lot of times as uh, people read this psalm, they, they kind of get stuck on the repetition. But uh, the psalmist here, and this is an unsigned psalm, we are not sure who actually wrote this. Most believe it was um, uh, David. Uh, but interestingly enough, as it goes through the history, it stops seemingly uh, before the crossing of the Jordan River and may actually have been written uh, by Moses at, at the very end of his life, or who wrote other Psalms, uh, or Joshua before they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, it was used in several places. Uh, there's an echo, though it's not exactly the same psalm in First Chronicles 16.34 as they bring the ark into Jerusalem. Certainly at the dedication of the Temple of Solomon, this psalm is mentioned twice in Second Chronicles chapters 5 and 7. How many of you remember the story of Jehoshaphat as he was attacked by the children of Moab and Ammon and and they said, we don't know what to do. We cannot defend ourselves. And, and the prophet who was in the midst of the congregation said, you're not going to have to fight in this battle. God is going to fight for you. And they sang this psalm as they went into battle. And the, uh, the armies that were amassed against them destroyed each other until there was not a man left. And there was no battle to fight that day. And the last time we see that in the Scripture is in the book of Ezra, chapter 3. As they're laying the foundation for the second temple, they sing this song. And uh, really, I do not know of any other song that is mentioned as being sung by the children of Israel as many times as this one is. And... Uh, interestingly enough, there is a strange little pattern uh, that it's not exactly true to every part of this psalm, but we start out with four praises to God. Then we have five praises for creation. Six praises, six verses are sung in praise to God from deliverance from Egypt. And then there are seven praises dealing with leading his children through the, um, uh, the wilderness and the destruction of Og and Sion. And then 
we come down here and the, uh, we have two verses, verses 23 and 24, of God remembering us, God redeeming us. Verses 25, a universal praise as God giveth food to all flesh. And then verse 26 is what we would call rejoinder, goes back and echoes the first verse. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven for his mercy endureth forever. Each praise is attached to that phrase, His mercy endureth forever. And if there is something we need to remember about God, something we need to think about, be reminded of, is the fact that God is a merciful God. And you and I cannot exhaust His mercy. Uh, that is a comfort because we don't always do things the way we should. But God always does. Amen? God never turns His back. That promise that He made, that statement, He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Why? Because His mercy endureth forever. You know, we will sing this psalm in heaven. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that part of eternity, a great part of eternity is going to be taken up with God explaining the good things He did in our life and the host of heaven echoing back what a great and merciful and good God. And, and so let's just take uh, the next few moments here and, and we'll try not to be uh, uh, too long here, but let's just go through this psalm. The first four praises deal with the person of God. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Why? For He is good. And you know, we could spend the entire night on just that one phrase. But constantly we need to be reminded, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God is, and God is good. Remember the rich young ruler? He said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, Why callest thou me good? There is none good save one, that is God. And the rich young ruler never made that mistake again. Because he did not believe Jesus is God. But without believing that Jesus is God, you cannot have salvation. And so, we oftentimes things will happen and it doesn't feel like God is being good. How many of you have been there? And you need to be reminded that God can only be good because He is God. We, we need to get our attitude, our understanding uh, refocused. God is good for His mercy endureth forever. God never gives up on us. He has never lost a soul that has come to Him for salvation. 
Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods. You know, we live in a world where people want to deal with God. We uh, uh, The, the um, literary phrase or the uh, logic phrase as you talk about this is called moral equivalency. It's where we take two things that are different and make them equal. And I want you to understand something. God has no equals. The God of this Bible is above all gods. He is not the great spirit. He is not Allah. He, he is not uh, the God of the Protestants or the God of the Catholics or the Orthodox. If you will study those things, and I'm not really recommending you spend a lot of time doing that, you will find out that they are completely different gods, separate from the God of the Bible. Uh, one of the main attributes of the God of the Roman Catholic Church, and you'll remember this, this is commonly repeated as you grow up in the church, that Jesus is somewhat stern and, and not wanting to give mercy to everyone. And so the best way to entreat God for His mercy is to plead for His mercy through His mother. How many of you have heard a priest say something like that to you or in the, in the church? It's in all their books and things. Listen, he is the God of gods. Why? Because only his mercy endureth forever. There is no other God you can go to. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords. You see... The idea of the God of gods deals with His being. God is the supreme being. There is no equals. There's nothing close to God. But He's also in authority. The word Lord is, is dealing with authority. The, the one that is in charge. And even though this world just seems to get crazier and crazier and more sinful and more sinful... I want you to understand something. Jesus is still in charge. He is the Lord of lords. And then we come to verse 4, and it says, To him who alone doeth great wonders. Now, the psalmist here could not possibly understand the entire work of redemption how the God Himself would die on the cross. This, this psalm, as we said, it stops historically with the defeat of Og and Shion before they cross uh, the Jordan River because the Jordan River is not mentioned. The rest of the land of Israel, Jericho, uh, all of these things would simply, uh, uh, should find a place in this psalm as he praises God for His wondrous works. But... Uh, my simplest answer is those things hadn't happened yet. The psalm was written and it was given as a uh, unit in time. And we understand that the Lord alone doeth great wonders. It's interesting how human most gods really are. If you went to school, you had to read some of the Greek mythology. 
I don't recommend reading much of it. It's soap opera material, most of it. Uh, it uh, the, the gods of the Greeks were much more human than most of the Greeks were. Uh, their desires and their shortcomings and their failures and their vengeance upon each other. Uh, the same could easily, even much more easily be said of the God, many of the gods of the Hindu religion. There, there is no standard of moral righteousness there. The, uh, the one God uh, kills his own son and... Uh, finds a head of an elephant and puts it on the body of his son so that uh, uh, his son can have a head again. Now, if I were a god, I think I could do a little bit better job of life than that. How about you? Um, I, I remember the explanation uh, of a Muslim man who was trying to explain to me how good uh, Muhammad and the god of, of uh, Islam was as... He said a man was walking with his son and they saw a, a, a little boy who had no father and had no shoes. And that father took the shoes off of his own son and gave them to uh, the, the little boy that had no father and had no shoes. And Allah saw that and was pleased. And I, I looked at the man straight in the face and said, my God's not happy about that. My God doesn't want me depriving my children so other children can have a blessing. He wants me to go out and buy that other kid another set of shoes. I mean, what's, what's wrong with that? And the guy didn't know what to do with me. But, but I will tell you, these are ultimately very human things. God alone does great wonders. And he's going to use this as a transition. He's done four praises of God for being God. Now we're going to do five praises of God for creation. And we come to verse 5. It says, To him that by wisdom made the heavens. Have you thought about the infinite wisdom of God that put things in space in the way that they are? Even uh, the atmosphere of our earth, we have hundreds and hundreds of meteorites every year, but most of them burn to nothing. Every once in a while, we'll get one might be this big around. How many of you heard about that one just a couple weeks ago that missed us by 45,000 miles? It flew between the moon and the earth. An asteroid big enough, it said, if it had hit the earth, it would have taken out an entire city. A hundred times the, the power of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And it missed us by a mere 45,000 miles. And we were so smart, we didn't see it until it whizzed by. I mean, how many movies are they going to make about spacemen getting in a rocket ship and shooting a nuclear missile at an asteroid and blowing it up before it kills the earth. Um, silly, 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 silly. God made this world, this universe in such a way. And the question I'd love to ask is who else but God could waste 
13 and a half billion light years of matter and put one little planet with life somewhere in it. Do you not think if there were intelligent life out there on other planets as our own, we would have found it by now? Uh, They're still looking for water on Mars. The only place we know water exists in the entire universe is on this planet. Well, they talk about water on the, um, the moons that go around Saturn. But the surface temperature is 265 degrees below zero. There, there's no liquid water on those planets. And just because it's ice doesn't mean that it's water ice because at that temperature, oxygen freezes solid. And uh, so, the wisdom of creation. We can look up into the skies at night and we can ponder the greatness of this universe and how did our little planet get exactly 93 million miles away from the sun and tilt on a 23-degree axis so that we would have seasons and our orbit is just a little tiny bit out of round. And yet, we've been rotating around that sun, if we believe our Bible, for a little over 6,000 years. Now, how many of you have ever spun a top? What happens? It spins very straight for the first little bit, and then you see a little wobble, and then a little bigger wobble, and then it starts going like this, and then falls over. Well, the earth is not rotating on a perfect circle, my friend. How does it keep going? Listen. There was some wisdom in the creation of this world. Amen? And it says in verse 6, To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. Isn't that interesting? I just saw something. uh, There's a two and a half mile crack opening up in the remote deserts of Arizona. And they claim that the reason that is doing that is because all of the new housing developments have depleted the aquifer and it's formed a vacuum and it's literally breaking up the earth so that air can come down there and relieve this empty space that man has caused. But what would we do if there wasn't water under the earth? No wells? We, we would be in big trouble, wouldn't we? God stretched out this earth upon the waters. Let's look at the next one. It says, To him that made great lights. Look at verse 8. The sun to rule by day, the moon and the stars to rule by night. Now, I want you to notice something here. Three separate praises. Great lights, then he talks about the sun, then he talks about the moon and the stars. What was the first thing God said when he created? 
Let there be light. You know, Albert Einstein developed a theory of relativity based upon the speed light travels. Everything we understand about our universe today or think we understand is dependent upon the speed of light. That's how they measure 13 and a half billion years across our galaxy. Universe, I'm sorry. Our galaxy is much smaller than that. But let's stop and think about something. What if light did not travel at a constant rate? Then we know nothing about our universe. Now, don't get worried. We're not going flat earth here, all right? Uh, that, that is so foolish. And, and we're not playing around with the geocentric uh, universe where the earth is the absolute center of the entire universe and the sun goes around the earth and all the planets revolve around the earth. And, you know, it would be best for us to stop worrying about all of those things Someone actually printed two books on the geocentric universe and sent them to me. And so I took them right now I, and stuck them up on a shelf with my other spurious books. I've got a sermon book that was written for Catholic priests. Uh, I've got some guys that have some really screwy ideas about the Bible and how we should... And I put all those screwy books up on just one shelf where nobody can see them, hopefully, as they come in the office here. Uh, but could we not understand that God is the ultimate source of all light? It's He who lit the sun. And the New Jerusalem will have no need of the sun or the moon or the stars because the Lamb, God the Father and the Lamb, are the light of that city. God had made the great lights. Yes, and we thank God for the sun. Where would we be without the sun? And I'll tell you, on a dark night, I love the moon and looking up at the stars of heaven and many a, um, a mariner, navigator, both in the sky and in the sea have been able to take their instruments and by the sun and by the moon and by the stars have been able to find paths where there are no signs. And all of those things are constant and they're measurable and, and they were all made by God. Now he changes. And we come and we've gotten four praises about God, five praises about creation. Now we're going to get six praises. Do you see the little pattern? I've been through this all many, many times and uh, never did really see this here. And we come up here on verse 10. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn. Now that was not a pleasant event for the Egyptians. But why did God do that? He destroyed the heritage of the Egyptians. Everything about Egypt was concerned with their dynasties. We now know that 
when a new dynasty took over, they would go through the monuments and the historical records and erase and scrape off of structures every reference to the former dynasty and re-engrave their own names on top of those things. That's why Egyptian history is such a mystery. No one knows what really happened when because they went through the history books and changed all the names. It's crazy. But I'll tell you what, God short-circuited that whole thing. No firstborn carried on that next generation. It was all gone. It says, and brought out Israel from among them. You stop and think about that. How many people groups over the years have been enslaved by other people groups? I mean, history's full of it. And of those people groups that were enslaved, how many of them came out of slavery and established themselves as in their own nation in their own land. I'll tell you, the history of Israel is unique in the history of mankind. Verse 19, <coughs> I'm sorry, 12 says, With a strong hand and a stretched out arm. <coughs> Excuse me. Didn't get turned off the mic there. Forgive me for that. And it says here, In verse 13, to him which divided the Red Sea into parts. And he made Israel to pass through, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host. All of these things. God is praised for his mercy as he brought Israel from slavery to freedom. As the power of God was seen, that strong arm and destroyed every essence of the Egyptian people and their economy. And finally, as they passed through the Red Sea, God destroyed their army. There was nothing left of Egypt but graves when the children of Israel came out. And yet... We now change to leading Israel through the wilderness and to the um, Jordan River to him which led his people through the wilderness. Why? Because his mercy endured forever. Do you remember why the children of Israel had to wander in the wilderness? It's because they refused to believe God. And enter the promised land when he said. And yet his mercy stretched out and he said, You refused my mercy? Just as the Egyptians had? He said, You're going to die in the wilderness. And your children that you said were going to become slaves in the land of Canaan, they're the ones that are going to conquer the land of Canaan. And they did, because his mercy endureth forever. Amen? And then it says, To him which smote great kings, and verse 18, and slew famous kings. Then it gives us the names. Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. Now, 
This is an area that uh, we know now as the uh, eastern bank of the Jordan River, the Golan Heights, uh, the area surrounding uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee there. Og was one of the last of the giants, it says. His, his bed was uh, over nine feet long. And uh, the children of Ammon came up and rescued uh, those artifacts out of his house and took them back to their place uh, for some reason. We don't know. Uh, the Bible tells us of that. But God took these here and verse 21 and gave their land for an heritage, for his mercy endureth forever. Verse 22, even an heritage unto Israel his servant. And I want to challenge you. Who lives in those lands today? Israel. The Jews. Do not allow this new spirit of anti-Semitism that just seems to be everywhere attract your attention. You, you need to understand one thing. Israel is not sinless. That is not the case. The Bible never said that. In fact, it said that God gave them blindness so that we as wild olive branches could be grafted into the goodness of the tree. You know what we need to be doing? Thank God for saving us Gentiles, allowing us to partake of the goodness and the mercy of God that was promised to Israel forever. Then the psalmist moves on. And in verses 23 and 24, he said, Who remembered us in our lowest state? Is that not the song of every saved person today? God did not save us because we were wonderful people. He did not save us because we had great abilities. He saved us because His mercy endureth forever. He remembered us and He redeemed us. Now, the thought here of Israel was they were redeemed from their enemies the Egyptians, the Amorites, uh, and and, uh, Sion and Og there. But we are redeemed from our enemy. And you know who our greatest enemy is? It's ourself, is it not? The devil is our enemy. He has no power unless we choose to disobey God. Because His mercy endureth forever. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because His mercy endureth forever. God is a merciful God to the saved and the unsaved alike. We plant the crops and food comes. And the earth produces a great deal of food all on its own. We were uh, up at Bear Mountain a couple of weeks ago just walking through and all of a sudden stumbled on a wild blueberry patch. 
And so everybody got busy with little cups and started picking them uh, some blueberries there and uh, brought them home and made blueberry sauce for some vanilla ice cream. Absolutely fabulous. Little tiny wild blueberries. There is food in this world if we only look for it because God gives it. The birds always eat, do they not? Sometimes it troubles me when I see someone out there feeding the pigeons. How about you? I'm just like, come on, that's against the law. And then I think of this. It really is against the law in New York City to feed the pigeons. But then I think of God says he'll take care of the birds. We have the fattest pigeons in the whole world, I think, here in New York City. And we worry, and we fret, and we get upset, because we don't think God's taking care of us. Let me tell you something. Who giveth food to all flesh, for his mercy endureth forever. Then we hit the rejoinder. And we go back to the beginning. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. Would you be glad of one thing? We have the truth. We have the words of the only God, the creator God. The God above all other gods. We have His Word. His mercy, as it extended to Israel, extends to all who believe in Him. And we need to take some time, that's what this psalm is about, and just be thankful to the Lord. Now, what I would like us to do right now is we have just a few verses here, 26 verses. It'll take us just a couple of minutes. It's not even 7 o'clock yet. And I would like for each one, I will read the, the, uh, the praise, and then I want everyone together, for his mercy endureth forever. And let us do that heartfelt and serious in praise unto God. This was the way this psalm was intended. The worship leader would read out the praise and the people would echo back, for his mercy endureth forever. And so I would like for us to do that tonight, so let's get started. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good together, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks unto the God of gods, for his mercy endureth forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endureth forever. To him who alone doeth great wonders, for his mercy endureth forever. To him that by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endureth forever. Don't get tired. Keep it up here. We only got 20 more verses. Let's go. To him that stretched out the earth above the waters. To him that made great lights. 
the Son to rule by day, the moon and stars to rule by night. To him that smote Egypt in their firstborn, and brought out Israel from among them, with a strong hand and a stretched out arm, to him which divided the Red Sea into parts. And made Israel to pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. His mercy endure forever to him which led his people through the wilderness. To him which smote great kings. And slew famous kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan, and gave their land for an heritage, even an heritage unto Israel his servant. Who remembered us in our lowest state, and hath redeemed us from our enemies, who giveth food to all flesh. Oh, give thanks unto the God of heaven, for his mercy endureth forever. And all God's people said, Let's pray. If you need to just come out and pray at the altar, the altar is open. But let's thank God for His mercy.